Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Okay. Wouldn't it be easier just to leave the addict? especially this man cheated throughout our entire relationship for 18 years, even when we were dating. I don't think I can ever build that, that trust again. However, I'm worried about my kids. Should I trust him with my kids to be with him alone when we are separated? Oh, this is a great, like as a sex addict and offender issue. And wouldn't it be easier to leave the addict? You will always co-parent you have children. So leaving the relationship gets rid of that, physical presence but you're always going to be in a relationship you're going to grandparent together so uh, your thoughts but can you elaborate on the safety for children please yeah um well uh, every single parent not every single parent but many of the spouses that i've worked with and the most of the world (laughs) thinks that if you hear the word out of control sexual behavior or sex addiction you immediately think oh it's that guy who's standing by the school waiting to snatch my kids you know that's just there is no room in our culture at the moment for people with sexual problems it's barely room for people with mental health problems or addictions no less sexual problems so everybody in their head goes to that I, i don't know your particular circumstances as tammy said i don't know the degree what the problem has been what he's looking at where's you know but i will say that and I don't know about your situation, but I would say it is very rare, very, very rare. I can almost never think of a case. I can think of cases where someone might have touched a stepchild or the nanny, you know, who's 16 or 18 or, but it would be very, very, there would be much more illness and, and issues for that person if they were to touch their own child, than I hate to say it's simply sex addiction. Um, there's something pretty pathological about touching your children that look addictions can be stopped people can grow that i don't know so anyway there was a couple other things i wanted to say i say this a lot and if you have the podcast you've heard me live but i always think it's useful i ask all of our clients who are so worried about is my spouse going to leave me and i'm like what are they doing and they say well they're going through my credit cards and they're going through my bank bills and they're calling everyone i know and they're checking everything that i've ever i've ever done and i'll say don't worry they're not leaving you And they'll say, how is that possible? I mean, I'm not saying they won't leave in six weeks, but at that moment, and I'll ask them, as I will ask any of you, what is the opposite of love? And so many people say hate, but hate is passion. The opposite of love is indifference. Gee, you know, I don't care whether we stay together or not. I'm kind of done. You know, that's, that's when love is over. So I can't tell you. I wrote this other question down. Other than the opposite of love, Tammy, this person said, use the word easier. And I don't know. What does that mean? easier. Would it be easier for you to go off all by yourself right now in your life and start all over again? Whether you choose to be single or you choose to be with someone, the the road, the grass is always greener. And I often think it's easier. I'd rather run away from my painful circumstances than be in them. And I don't know your circumstances. It may well be that the best thing to do would be cut bait and run. (laughs) But I, I, um, I do think that trust can be restored. I believe in it. I've written books about it. I've seen it. 
I have seen people who've been together 30 years where there was lying for 25 of them embrace each other in honesty and integrity. I have seen it. I've had those couples call me five years later and say, thank you for the work we've done because we're still together. So the other answer, your other question is if you want the trust to be stored and your partner wants, and they're willing to work at it, trust will be restored. It will never be the naive trust that you might've had when you fully believed in this person, but that doesn't mean you can't have a meaningful relationship. So I don't know what easier means to you. I don't think any of this, whatever move you make is going to be easy. Um, it's all painful. Um, and it, it doesn't, and it doesn't land with what is the least painful thing to do. It really lands with what is it in my heart that I want to do for my future. And you have children, so navigating this so that you can co-parent whether you're together or not is really important. The ki kids don't need to be the damaged, you know, along the way. Okay. Hey, Tammy, I wanted yes. to tell you, say one more thing about kids. Please. Mm -hmm. And I know we've been talking a lot about our treatment center, but be honest, uh, number one, you guys, 95% of our work is given away for free because we have a treatment center and it allows us to fund the rest of it. So if you hear us mentioning it, we're not doing big commercials, but we do want you to know this is how we earn our living and, and whatever else we can do for you is completely free. But um, what I really wanted to say, cause I wanted to say something about treatment is, you know, Tammy, I don't know if I talked to you a lot about this, but one of the most without question, the most significant, meaningful turnaround type things that happens to the men in treatment, if they are fortunate enough, if they have kids, if they have kids, they will begin to, they don't, it doesn't matter how angry they are at you, spouses or disappointed or this or that, but there is a doorway with their being parents and what they didn't do for those children, what they might've done for this, what they could still do for those children, what they might do as a grandfather. So understand that the person you've been with could be not a different person, but they can certainly live differently than the way you have lived. And I don't know if you can ever trust, I don't know if this person could ever be trustworthy, but I do believe in it in couples that are committed. I see it every day. And, you are with somebody who's very broken. Every addict is very broken. We can heal. We can learn to do, do things differently, but it, it does take time and it takes the right support. So, okay. Next Except question. for us, Tammy. Except for us. We're not broken. We're glued together. <laughs> I was going to say, there, there's a lot of super glue and gorilla glue on me. So, okay. Um, SILA grad, yay, and still so over, yay, found myself, SILA is our treatment program, Seeking Integrity Los Angeles, found myself acting impulsively and breaking agreements in the process. Any advice on what to do when getting impulsive? Already on Lexapro, and that's helping, but it's still happening. Hopefully you're going to the alumni meeting tomorrow too and can get some support on that. We have 45 people in alumni group, or that's pretty amazing, 38? It's, yeah. Um, so there are different issues here, right? You mentioned medication. So racing thoughts are a sign of, you know, mania. And some people go on an antidepressant like Lexapro, and then they find that they get a little more pressured and irritable. And so, you know, there may be and could be mental health issues. You're already being treated for mental issues, for emotional issues, mental health issues. So I would absolutely, and I say to everybody, by the way, this is our job as therapists. If anything comes up, if you come in my office, the first thing I'm going to say is, have you had a physical? Is there any, have you 
had any psychological problems? You've had MS. Have you had Parkinson's? All of these things can relate to actually the problem. And we have to always, if we're good therapists, rule out anything medical uh, before we, and then anything psychiatric. And then we get to the addiction. So, you know, I, I think, well, Tammy, I'm, gonna, I'm directly part about impulsivity to you. I spoke to the mental health part, but provided it's just an addict who can't quite stop themselves <laughs> from saying or doing what they don't want to do. What are your thoughts about that? Well, to me, this is one of those where the medication, like I was thinking it doesn't feel like it's quite the right dosage or the right fit or something like that. So, you know, I would be looking at getting more support on that. I would also invite you to take that one to Dr. David on Wednesday night because he's a master of like the medications and things like that. And he would probably be able to address that more. But please go on the alumni group tomorrow and bring that up too. If you aren't getting the right help, please you know, reach out to us. But Tammy, hey, I actually want yeah. to ask you another piece of that, which is yeah. let's say there's no mental health issues and okay. this person's recently recovery, done through treatment, but they find themselves acting impulsively. And you know, how would you speak to that part of it? Like, let me see what exactly they said. They said, um, found myself I find myself acting impulsive, breaking, breaking agreements. So- what if I'm impulsive? If you take the medication issue out, what is okay. it from a recovery? Uh, oh, from for me, it's slow the process down. Go talk to my sponsor. It's like, what do I need to do to be mindful? What what do I need to do to, you know, like, like if I understand that I'm struggling with something, what do I need to do to give myself, you know, the moment of clarity to go, mm, that's not going to be a good choice. I need to go do this. Um, because Because the impulsive is, and then I'm going, oh, darn, why did I do that? And, and I have no good reason. So, so just learning to understand that I need to slow down, which is not my favorite thing, as Dr. Rob will know, but um, to just take a moment and pause, you know, uh, like, like even with what I say, I'll, I've learned to take a pause because the, uh, my, my, I'll share this, my husband, when we were early married, I have a wicked sarcastic tongue and um, really? he, he, oh, I, I've learned, I've gotten better. Um, but he came to me one day, he said, I can take almost anything, but your, uh, you know, your sarcasm. And, and I thought I'm going to lose this man if I don't get a grip on this. And those things were so quick. And I, I mean, I'm surprised that my tongue has healed. Cause like, I swear I had to bite it, but like just learning to go, you know, and I've said this to Dr. Rob too, not, you know, first thought wrong, second thought. So like taking the pause, you know, and just going, even if I feel impulsive and compulsive, I don't have to act on that. I can take, what do I need to ground myself? I need to put my feet on the ground. I need to call my sponsor. I need to read a meditation. I need to do something different to get myself out of that pattern. So thoughts. Hey, Tammy, you know, I have a book on my bedside table that says, say the second thing that comes in your head. <laughs> and I try to practice that too. I mean, it, yeah. we're impulsive. I get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have learned, and I, I actually learned with the sarcasm, I'll share this because, you know, it. I really liked it and I was really good at it. But I also realized that there was a, a very much an edge and hurt to it. And and um, uh, so I, I found that not only practicing, not doing that with him, I didn't do it with other people and it actually improved my relationship. So, okay, next question. I'm a chem sex addict and I'm finally accepting the, that the relationship that I was in with a straight man for the last six years has to be dissolved. During the COVID quarantine, we spent many hours and days overnights 
uh, together and got even closer and he became confused about the way he felt about me. He has decided that as much as he loves me and doesn't understand any of the feelings he has and has ended our chem sex because he became involved with a female that he loves. So we thought we could just be friends. I've been caught up with this fantasy that he will realize that our relationship is the one that he should be in. You see this? Like, I understand. I realize this is mm-hmm. unhealthy and I'm working my program again. Yay, I'm nine days clean of substances and sex. How do I safely mourn this loss and destroy this fantasy? How do I find the real me during this pain of loss? And how long do I abstain from masturbation since he is so embedded in my mind? That's a lot. It is. But it's all thematic, right? It's all yes. along one theme. Yes. And and I'll go back to what I said earlier. Um, you spent a lot of time and investment with someone and you had a lot of hopes. And then when you're doing drugs, you got messages like, oh, maybe I love you. And maybe this is uh, what I really want. And um, I can understand, hold, just as a, forget the drugs, any of it, ho- holding on to that, the possibility of love, the possibility of connection, regardless of the circumstances. However, when we look at the circumstances, the only time that this man has ever really been close to you is doing drugs and having sex. And ultimately, when he's not doing drugs and having sex, he wants to be with women. So I don't think that Tammy or I can make any recommendations on what you do with this relationship. It's what do you want to do with your life? You know, rather than thinking about, well, he and I and we, and I'd be thinking about, who would I date if I was single? And would I want to be in a long term? Would I like to be married to a man or a woman? Um, how do I, do I want to have kids? Like, how do I want my life? Do I want a home? Do I want a dog? You know, what do I want my life to be? I think that creating fantasy around the possibility of your future, which can absolutely come true, is a lot better than living in fantasy about the person that you will not have available to you. And I guess on some level, you haven't gotten that yet. Because what comes after, in fact, I know Tammy said she relates to this, so I will say this too. I had one of the most intense four-year relationships that I've ever had in my youth. I was seriously young in love, passionate, all that. And, um, and I found out over the course of a number of years that this person didn't want to be with me. And I mean, just wasn't available, didn't want to be with me, you, you know, just was very confused about our relationship. Ultimately, after four years said, I don't want to be with you and left. So our relationship ended. And for about six or eight months, I swear to God, I floated emotionally on he's going to realize how important I was and he's going to realize all the things we had and he's going to pick up the phone and call me. And I waited in my head. I don't think it was that conscious, but I waited and I waited and I waited. And then one day, I don't know whether I talk, actually talked to him and got it that, or somebody talked to me. And I realized just like the childhood I always wanted, that was never going to happen. I wasn't going to get that call. He was never. And then the part that you haven't gotten to yet, I was in tremendous grief because I'd been so passionately in love and, I, and it ended and, and I wasn't important enough in my mind for this person to hold on to. And guess what that brought up? How I wasn't important enough for my parents. So there's a connection here that goes way beyond your feelings about him that goes back to early times, early in your life. And I bet as a child, you sat in fantasy wishing you had more connection and love from the people who were supporting you. Just something from me doing a therapy a long time. So um, I just think 
bless you for staying sober. There is nothing more important. You will never find the love and the life you want. In fact, I'll say one more thing about that. Tammy, we had a client recently at Seeking Integrity who had a paired drug and sex problem. And while, because they'd used so much together and so much of their relationship, it was a complete distortion. You know, they were like, I don't know, 30 years apart or something. And I couldn't help this person understand the challenges. I guess there's one other thing I want to say about all this. Um, I always wanted to know the, what mental health is and what being troubled is. I always wanted to know it in like a simple sentence. How do you really think about that? And so I think after 25 years of being a licensed therapist, I've got this down. Mental health, and this includes addiction because that's part of mental health. Mental health is about being able to have a, a balance, a real balance between your thoughts and your feelings. That when I'm in my head, I can kind of use my feelings to guide me. And when I'm too emotional, I can kind of look from a distance and, and let my feet, let my thoughts override my feelings. I'll give you an example with love addicts. We were just talking about you guys. You get so caught up in the feeling and the romance, the intensity that you can't clearly use your intellect to see who the person is. So you're unbalanced in relationships. That's why you need support of others to help you stay balanced. So for you spouses, this is also a real challenge because you're so emotional right now. It's hard to see, uh, it's hard to see anything but the hurt and the pain as is understandable, but pulling into your head and really looking at it, not as a personal wound, at least a little bit, but as an illness, um, is really hard to do. So anyway, uh, is, I'm sorry, why it's hard for you guys, because you get very emotional, non-intellectual. One more thing, addicts, we're all in our heads and not in our emotions. That's our illness. Because if I'm an addict, I'm thinking, I can get away with this, this will be okay, no one will ever know, I can handle this. You know, I've got all kinds of intellectual thoughts about it. And this is one of the things about treatment. We confront people with the feeling part. How do you feel about not having fully parented your children as opposed to, oh, I got away with acting out for hours and hours and hours. So uh, anyway, I'm talking on and on, but I think this is helpful. Tammy, do you have any feedback? No, I, and I agree. And I, I, you know, you're nine days in, you're here. That's great. But please make sure you're making healthy connections. We have numbers of drop-in groups for men. We've got female addict groups. We've got, we've got all kinds of resources. Mm -hmm. So you sitting at home, and I'm just making this up, but you sitting at home for nine days going, I want to stay sober today. I'm going to stay sober today. That is incredibly difficult and painful. So the more you are connecting with the resources, we've got all the podcasts that we've mentioned about 20 times today. You know, so But make sure you're connecting with other people who are like you, Dr. Robin mentioned SLAA. There are bunches of meetings. Um, uh, there's a cruise control group on Thursday night, you know, for gay men, please. Uh, like uh, Dr. David does on in the rooms on Tuesday night, a chem sex group, you know, that's like the only one that I know of that is truly for chem sex, all free. So, you know, please connect with those. Um, uh, and, you know, we've got the work group starting and things like that. So there are resources, but um, I'm glad you're nine days. That's awesome. One day at a time. Um, but make sure you're connecting with real support as well. And, and I will add, I put in the chat for you a book called Lust, Men, and Meth. And Dr. David Fawcett, who is uh, is a consultant, is a, I think he's a senior, I don't know what his title is. Clinical, clinical advisor, yeah. Senior clinic, yeah. But Dr. Fawcett really covers our, our, our issues when it comes to, I kind of do the sex part, he does the drugs part, and he, his real expertise is in meth. And so... He's written books about it. I do want to say one more thing about people who combine sex and drugs or people who try trying alcohol and drugs. Um, 
I know a lot of folks who've been to drug and alcohol treatment centers and they really looked at their drug and alcohol addiction because everyone told them that was the problem, but they kept relapsing. And it wasn't until they got to folks like us where, and I really mean this, where we realized that they have, that there are underlying sexual issues that this person hates themselves around their sexuality, or they're not really having sex the way they want to, or, or they were abused in some way sexually. And so people don't do drugs and have sex at the same time for no reason. Some people get high because that's the only way they can tolerate sex. Some people get high because they have so much shame after sex, it makes them feel better. You know, many, many reasons why these things are tied together. But I rarely see someone who has the kind of issues we have just go for drug and alcohol treatment and get better. They have to really look at, and by the way, for a lot of the gay men, homophobia. They were often raised in a very conservative, maybe perhaps extremely religious conservative, and they, they just thought, learned to hate themselves for what they were attracted to. And even though they consider themselves out in the world, there's a part of them that really only enjoys sex when they're high because of all the self-hatred. So there's lots of pieces that go together. And I would like, Tammy, encourage you to hold them both in your hand, not just the drugs, but the relationships and sex too. And masturbation, wasn't there a question at the end of that about masturbation? Oh. Was that correct? I oh, let me check. Uh, it's okay. It's not that. It was important. in the we answer. answer. Okay. All right. Yeah, we've got bunches more. We're not going to get to all of them, and I apologize yeah. to all of you in advance. But come back. Okay. Next question. I really don't know if I'm a sex love addict with narcissistic traits and very much lack of empathy, who emotionally abused his wife and son. Is that a question? Well, it sounds like ha half of a question. Yes. So I say this all the time. Addicts are all narcissists while we are in our active addiction because we only care about ourselves and acting out and making sure that we get to do whatever it is we want to do and we compartmentalize so that we don't think about that. So this really goes back, I think, to what Dr. Rob was talking about before when he was talking about, you know, the kids when when clients in our treatment program have kids and they can start grieving that they weren't there but learn to this is all stuff that you probably didn't grow up with, but we can learn to have empathy. You know, Dr. Rob, I don't know about you, but like I did not have empathy when I was growing. I didn't know how, you know, but I've learned to, I've learned to be different. Recovery has taught me. So thoughts? Mm -hmm. Well, there was something in my head about this. Um, uh, yeah, I just want to jump on what Tammy said. You know, uh, I do think that many addicts have narcissistic traits. And I do agree with Tammy that they are full-blown when we're in our addiction because narcissism is defined by I come first before everyone else and that's what matters is me. And guess what happens when you're in addiction? What you want, the drugs, the alcohol comes first, the sex. And so that means you come first. So it's narcissistic by nature. The question is, can you, can you begin to stop the behavior and gain empathy for others? And I, by the way, with a lot of, I don't want to give away all our treatment secrets, but one of the things I see a lot is men and women who are, well, we don't have women in our program, but I see men who are just filled with self-hatred. I can't believe I did this to my family. I can't believe I did this to, so how are my children going to look at me? How is ever anyone, and you know, I have to tell them to stop because that is narcissistic. It's not the same as saying, I wonder what they're going through. I wonder what they're struggling with. I wonder how my behavior affected them. That is empathy. When you're in shame, which is, I'm so terrible, I'm so awful, how could I have done this? It's still all about you. And on some level, as much as people talk about shame, even Brene Brown would probably not say, shame is selfish because you're all in this bubble of self-hatred by yourself and you're not really thinking about the situation that, that isn't just involving you. So 
Uh, narcissism, sure. Traits, sure. Full-on addiction, narcissism. But we can learn to be kinder, gentler people with integrity. And as Tammy said, she had to bite her lip, <laughs> but she learned how to not attack, but lead with love. It's possible. Yes, we can learn. It's a process. Okay, next question. Hi, Dr. Rob. I'm SA with just over two years of sobriety. I've been seeing a CSAT for uh, one and a half years. Steve DeLuggage says, hi. My wife and I have been separated for a year and a half. Also, the question is, how do I proceed with my betrayed spouse? We just tried to sit down oh, on our own to go over her 100 questions she has. Oh, I have answered them, but not to the degree of detail she wishes. She does not trust a thing. I say because I've lied to her numerous times. Understandable. Well, Tammy, I'm going to ask you to take this one. I, I'm going to say, what does your therapist advise you to do? And what does her therapist, her support person, like these are the, these are the nightmare disclosures that I hate. I'm trying to answer all her questions. No. Tammy, don't cover your ears because then. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. No. There you go. Yeah, please, yeah. You will never answer all her questions. You, you, because she'll think of a hundred more, and then it's just this ongoing process. So a formal disclosure. And I'm sorry, a year and a half. You know, Dr. Rob has talked about this before. You know, like there should be a period of time. What is your plan? You know, so you're separated. It's been a year and a half. There's not been a formal disclosure. To me, you guys sound stuck. You know, I, I mean, I'm glad you're two years of sobriety. I'm not knocking that, but, but you guys are stuck. And so, you know, what's on, you know, what is the procedure and, and a formal disclosure, even though you've spilled the beans on some stuff, but I would really invite you to do that. Dr. Rob talks about this all the time, including with his peer uh, case consultation group with other professionals, a good disclosure is a page and a half. It's not a hundred questions. It's not all the gory details. It's here's the data so that you have a foundation on which to build. You know, if there was sex in the home and, you know, in my bed and whatever, I'm like, absolutely. Some of with my best friend or sister, you know, those are important details to know, but otherwise it's, it's data. I spent $40,000 with this, you know, with the, with, with the sex worker over six years. I don't, I'm making that up too, but it's, it's that kind I, of data. So please. And I know we're running out of time. So please yeah. excuse me, Tammy. I want to make sure I, I respond to this and maybe we'll have time for one more if we, if we have time for one more, um, what I'm curious, what I'm struck by is, well, first of all, time is absolutely right. Like the whole idea of disclosing. So here's how the part, the addict's perspective is in this situation. Well, if I tell them more, they'll feel better. Well, if I tell them more, cause you partners are saying, I just need to know this and then all this. And I just need to know that you see that this is the deal for partners. No insult to you guys. This is reality. You think that if you ask, have answers to more questions that you will feel better. But the reality is the more questions you ask, the worse you feel, the more answers you get, the worse you feel. Um, you're not really looking for the answer to every single question. What all of that is about is some kind of reassurance. You know, is this person really gonna be with me now or are they still, and it's also safety. They don't know what they've gotten or what they haven't gotten. So they're really taking care of themselves. And as Tammy said, both of you should be in therapy. Your wife needs help with boundaries and a lot of support for dealing with her pain and anger. And then for you, sounds like you got a journey. I wrote a book for you, by the way, called Out of the Doghouse. I'd recommend it. It is how men heal uh, women when they betrayed and broken their hearts. How do they heal that relationship? Because I found men are not very good at healing betrayal. Um, and the, one more thing, Tammy, a year and a half. 
people have been separated a year and a half without a real plan or intention or focus or about how they're going to move forward. I'm not sure if you're ever going to back together. I've seen people separate for six months while they're really working on this, but you got a year and a half and you're still asking, things are still dribbling out. And I'm not sure how you would restore this relationship under the circumstances you're explaining. Yeah. And, and I'm really Anything sad. Cause you know. it, yeah, no, I'm really sad. Cause like, I'm like a year and a half of being in the in-between and not, not having a plan or a path to either move forward or, you know, or get off, you know, the, you know, get out of the relationship permanently. But, you know, to me, there, it seems like you guys, you know, need some, you need a formal disclosure and a realistic time frame and a plan for if this, then this is how we would, start dating again, you know, whatever it is. So thank you for listening to this episode of overcoming betrayal and addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.